ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Here's Lamar Hamlin tweeting out this picture from his hospital bed before the Bills hosted the Patriots. Peter King was at the game in Buffalo. He caught up with the star of the day, Naheem Hines, and also Bills coach Sean McDermott regarding a very emotional day in Western New York. Here's Peter. I just thought about how I could impact this game, and that's what I thought about. I said, I want, I actually, before the kick, I said, all right, Naheem, let's give him something to cheer about. So uh, I'm really happy it worked out that way, and uh, our team – we had, we had DeMar's wings on our back. We were very, very spirited. Uh, I knew we were going to come out and play, and uh, everything was not perfect today, but we knew we, I knew we would find a way to pull it off and win this one for DeMar. Um, thinking to myself how, how special it would be if, if we took the opening kickoff back, and um, I know the guys were working hard on it this week, and it was almost like, man, I wonder if that's going to come together at just the right time, and, and it, it surely did, and it was fun to be a part of it. Sean McDermott and Naheem Hines with Peter King. One thing I thought of last night, Miles, they traded for Naheem Hines right at the deadline. Zach Moss for Naheem Hines, pretty much straight up. There may have been some other sprinkling. You know, general managers feel compelled to drop little grains of rice on the scales and add a late seventh round for a late sixth round, future considerations, et cetera. But they brought in Hines, and what he did yesterday was spectacular. I hope that earns him more looks on offense, more opportunities. Why wouldn't it? Ken Dorsey, work this guy in more. Get him the ball in a broken field setting and let him do what he did yesterday. Remember how the Bears could never figure out how to use Devin Hester on offense? Here's what you do. You throw him a little bubble screen and you let him just go do his thing where he runs past everybody. That's what you do. Find ways to get this guy involved. He can make a difference in an offense that at times feels like it's struggling to find difference makers other than Stephon Diggs. Yeah, you, you get guys like that in space, and, and they can really be difference makers. And it's something that Naeem Hines has, has done really well in the past with the Indianapolis Colts until he got there uh, to Buffalo. So, you know, he's he's a return specialist. Obviously, anybody who can return two kicks for a touchdown in the same game, which hadn't happened in years and years and years, is, is a really good at that job. But I, I would say that they can find more ways to utilize him offensively, especially because there's not necessarily a team that runs the ball that well unless, you know, they're doing it with Josh Allen. Yeah, and th- that would be a real boost for a Bills team that feels talented enough to carry the emotion from DeMar Hamlin's situation all the way to the Super Bowl anyway. But you still have to get there through X's and O's in the playing of the games. And we saw the Patriots didn't lay down. To their credit, the New England Patriots yeah. did not concede. They did not happily play the role of Washington Generals yesterday. That was impressive that the Patriots showed up. And, hey, they had playoff berth on the line. But we'll talk about a tough situation for any team to go in and be the opponent when 
No one is pulling for you. And I'm sure at some point you can feel it. Nobody wants us to win today. Nobody in the world wants us to win today other than our own fan base. And some of them are probably ambivalent about it. So I I thought it was great to see the Patriots um, make it an interesting game. And really, they were ahead up until the second Naheem Hines kick return for a touchdown. It's 17-14, New England. So uh, they, they never backed down. But, hey, the Bills, Miles, I made this comparison last week. When Hank Gathers died in the conference tournament, 1989, Loyola Marymount, that team got farther than its talent should have taken it. And it only got to the final eight. But it still went farther than it should have. The Bills have the talent to take the emotional lift from DeMar Hamlin and finish the job. They really do. At, at this point, if I had to pick, and I don't want to get caught up in the emotion, but why? The, it's an emotional sport. The emotion is fueling the Bills right now. Does anybody expect the Dolphins to go in there and beat them? I don't care if Tua Tagovailoa is cleared or not. Does, and I know they've played two good games against each other this year, and the Dolphins won one of them. D- do you see the Bills losing at home in the wild card round? I sure don't. Do you see the Bills losing at home in the divisional round? I sure don't. The only question is, if it's Bills-Chiefs, what stadium is the commissioner going to pick, and can the Bills finally overcome the Chiefs there? And, he, and then the Super Bowl, I mean, I, hey, Bills 49ers. That was the game that Chris Berman predicted every single year in the early 90s. Bills 49ers, Bills 49ers, Bills 49ers, and they never crossed paths. They could be destined to finally do it this year. I, I – I understand what you're saying, but Cincinnati's going to have something to say about that if things play out the way we expect them to play out next weekend and they end up playing the Bills in Buffalo. That could be one of the highest-rated divisional round games for a variety of reasons that we've ever seen. Really. If it's Bills, Bengals, crossing paths, finishing the thing, and thankfully not in Cincinnati because I just think that 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 would be – too weird for everyone to play that game in Cincinnati, but to play that game in Buffalo coming up in 12 or 13 days, Miles, that'd be something. That's a great point by you. Yeah. I mean, look, the the, the AFC is three teams that I I just have a hard time handicapping it because I feel like on any given day, Kansas city can beat Cincinnati, but Cincinnati can beat Kansas city. Although Kansas city hadn't beaten Cincinnati in the entire calendar year of 2022 and that they played each other three times. So that's one thing. But Buffalo, I feel like, could beat or lose to Cincinnati. And Kansas City could beat or lose to Buffalo. So it's just one of those things where a lot of it's going to depend on what the matchup is that day and how the players play that day when it comes to those three teams and whoever is going to come out of the AFC. And Kansas City is the one that concerns me right now because I had said all along, that I was worried about a Bills-Chiefs AFC Championship game being derailed by one of those two teams not being properly focused in the divisional round and getting upset. The Bills will be properly focused. Now, they still may lose to the Bengals, but they're not going to lose to the Bengals because they're looking past the Bengals. That's for damn sure. The Chiefs could lose to the Chargers or the Jaguars by looking past them to the Bills. And it'll be interesting to see which games are played when. Will the Chiefs already know they're definitely facing the Bills? If that's the Sunday game and the Bills and Bengals play Saturday. I mean, that that plays into the overall psychology as well. But Chargers at Chiefs. We saw that game way back in week two on Amazon Thursday night. Chargers at Chiefs with a healthy Justin Herbert. Chargers could beat the Chiefs, which would give the Bills if they can make it all the way through it would give the bills the afc championship game at home or the bengals it would be 40 years after the fact chargers at bengals on a day when it was minus 83 in cincinnati we could have chargers at bengals for a spot in the super bowl so there's a lot of great permutations not just because i always feel bad when i say we all want to see bills chiefs in the afc championship i'm not so sure i do anymore because i don't like this neutral site thing and I fear that if the NFL gets a taste of it, they may decide to do it more often because they can make a lot of money off of Super Bowl light dangling it around all the various cities. But th- there's a lot of great – I'll take the seven teams that made it because whichever of those two teams win enough to qualify for the AFC championship, I'll take that AFC championship. And if it's in someone's home stadium, even better.
Yeah, I, I, I hate the neutral site for the championship game. I hate it so much. I've been to three uh, conference championship games, and they're the, the best weekends of football. And home fans deserve that. And so I, I don't like it. You know, the NFL had a rule, and they probably should just follow the rule. And frankly, if you're Cincinnati, you kind of feel like, man, you know, that game being canceled as it was in some ways, you know, took away our opportunity to be the two seed as well. So, and it's not that, you know, you're mad because it was canceled. It's just what the situation was. So then why are we going to go through all these different rules? And why is it that, you know, Kansas, excuse me, that Cincinnati and Buffalo, if they meet in the divisional round, why can't that be at a neutral site? So I just, you know, I, I don't like it. Hey, look, everything that happened in the aftermath of that game was bizarre. And yes, um, we're, we're talking about the possibility of it. So I may as well talk about it here. Not that we had time set aside for it in the, in the rundown today, but, Oops. but I, for everything good, the NFL did last week. And I thought the NFL was very transparent. There were multiple conference calls. They were very good about making sure the media understood what was happening no one ever said we already have a rule on the books for dealing with a canceled game. Nobody ever bothered to point anyone in the direction of a policy manual that says in black and white. And look, the, the, po the, the rule is a little clunky in its wording, but I interpret it to mean if a game is canceled, the playoffs and playoff positioning will be determined based on winning percentage. And Rich McKay, the chair of the competition committee, essentially acknowledged they changed the rule. And his excuse was, his explanation was, whichever EX word you want to use there, because it felt like a little of both. Well, this is such a rare situation, we had to craft a specific solution. Well, you've, you know, any canceled game is a rare situation. Games don't get canceled just because nobody felt like playing. It was the first time since 1935 that an NFL game was canceled in an on-strike year. And we have this, this elaborate playoff formula, and we've got one fewer game for two of the teams that are in the playoff tree. So you already have a rule for what you do with a cancellation of a game. And they never told us that. Because I think it would have been a different vibe. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. If we had just known from the get-go that's the rule, if they had told us that last Tuesday or Wednesday, who would have said that's an unfair, oh, you got to change that rule. That creates inequities. Oh, but yeah. No, okay, that's the rule. Okay, now we know. That's the rule. Who's going to complain about the rule? They've already figured out the rule. We were talking about implementation of the rule that – I didn't know it was codified. I thought they were ready to do that in the event that there was a canceled game during the pandemic. Cancel a game. Right. Go by winning percentage. Why, why is that not good enough? Because, you know, Miles, the bigger inequity here is that the Chiefs get two weeks off. Nobody's talking about that. There's no remedy for that other than expanding the playoff field, which was on the table at one oh. point, even though the NFL will deny it. That's the only way you take it away. You make them play another game. You make them play no, another game. They, That's a bigger advantage than home field in today's yeah. NFL, I believe. It is. Yeah, well, and then we would have seen some other crappy team that doesn't need to be in the playoffs be in the playoffs. And it the Steelers just would have be been in. That's not some crappy team that doesn't deserve to be in. How dare you? I know you hate the Steelers, but how dare you? The playoffs. Oh, actually, think about it. Think about it. It would be the honestly, Lions and the Steelers. Let's go. Can we do that? Can yeah. we get the owners on a conference call? Hey, owners who are out there with nothing better to do on a Monday morning but watch this show. Can you get a quorum? Can we get I'll, – I'll preside over it. I'll bang the gavel. Let's go. Let's add the Steelers and the Lions, baby. Let's take away that one seed. Let's take away that unfair advantage, that inequity for the Chiefs. And then you got to balance it out. you got to make the Eagles play the Lions. I'll take that. Yeah, well, I mean, I would rather see the Steelers in – or in, in the Lions in than the teams that are in right now. So, maybe. But, I don't but, know. But, but let's just say – I know we got to get on to the Dolphins game, but th this is all related to the Dolphins game because the Dolphins game – was blah, and they've lost five in a row. They're limping into the playoffs. They don't have a healthy quarterback. That's what the problem. That word again? Blah. That's the problem with going to seven. Once, Didn't once you start for the Cardinals yesterday, blah. Once you go beyond six and you start going to seven, there's a chance the eighth seed is going to have a better opportunity to win games in the postseason than the seventh seed. So why not yeah. just why not just make it? If you're going to go to seven, why not just make it eight? Why mm. not just have? Half the league make the playoffs because right now the Steelers and the Lions are good enough to give the one seeds. Well, I don't know. The Chiefs would probably kill the Steelers, but the Lions would give the Eagles a game. 
Uh, maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. I just, I, I the playoff field should be six. It was everything. I feel like I'm old man yelling at cloud, but everything was perfect when the league had 32 teams and they played 16 games and you had six teams get in and two teams had the first round by it was already perfect, but it's not perfect anymore. So this is where we are. It's even more perfect. How dare you? It's even more perfect. I'm just trying to weigh to come up with a way to make it even more perfecter. If that's even yeah. possible. All right. So the Dolphins yeah. beat the Jets 11 to 6. It's not scoregami. I remember a Steelers Chargers game that finished 11 to 6, and it should have been worse, but for the fact that there was a late touchdown by Troy Polamalu. This was November of 2008 that incorrectly was taken off the board and resulted in many, many dollars swinging because it kept the Steelers from covering. But there was that late safety that actually I think allowed the Dolphins to cover the three and a half point spread so I would suspect many dollars swung yesterday on that late safety as the Jets tried to pull a stand for band play it felt like they were destined for overtime it felt like they were destined for a tie to the point where we did a little quick research on who gets the playoff berth if the Dolphins tie and it would have been the Steelers sneaking in if they had tied that game yesterday that's how uninspiring that game was (laughs) yeah I mean, it was an ugly game. You had Skylar Thompson and Joe Flacco playing a quarterback, and it was exactly what you would expect from Skylar Thompson and Joe Flacco playing a quarterback with all due respect to both of those guys. And look, I mean, Miami needed something positive. Right? They, they'd not really been playing great football over the last month or so, and part of that has to do with the fact that their starting quarterback is out with a concussion. And so now, I mean, I... I don't know, Mike. I'm not really necessarily looking forward to seeing the Bills and the Dolphins play again just because you have that uncertainty at quarterback. And even if it happens to be Teddy Bridgewater and he's better with this finger injury, I don't really know how competitive the Dolphins can be going up to Buffalo next week. Here's Mike McDaniel from uh, the aftermath of yesterday's victory on the question of whether Tua Tonga-Vailoa will be ready to go this weekend against the Bills. I will continue to take it day by day, and I will not even think about um, any sort of game, whether that's this year or next year, until he's fully fully ready to do so. And that comes with medical clearance. That's um, why the procedure is in place. So I haven't even thought about that, um, ready for either quarterback um, uh, against the Bills. Who knows to Mike McDaniel for steering clear of any talk about whether and to what extent two is ready to go. There was a memo that was sent out in 2016 where Troy Vincent, then and now the executive VP of football operations, told the teams, don't talk about guys in the concussion protocol. Don't speculate on when they'll be back. That adds pressure to them. They are focused on getting back. Let's not talk about when and how and if they may be back. And they have strayed from that. I asked the league about it this year, and it was one of those where they, they don't respond to me when they really don't want to deal with me, which is more often than not, frankly, and they think I'll forget about it and go away. And in that case, I did. But Sean McVay kept talking about Matthew Stafford, talking about concussion protocol and this, that, and the other thing. It's like, isn't there a rule that you're not supposed to talk about guys in the concussion protocol? Mike McDaniel realizes nothing good comes from this. We're going to take it one day at a time. The implication, though, Miles, is that if he's cleared, he's going to play. But will he be cleared? And this gets into the whole... Optics and PR and after DeMar Hamlin, do you really want to put Tua Tonga-Vailoa back on a football field and put him at risk of another head injury? We saw the very scary one in Cincinnati. We saw the issue against the Bills in week three. Then we had that weird development on Christmas Day where his play suggested something was wrong, and the next day the coaching staff realized something was wrong, and he went to the protocol. This is just one of those where – you wonder whether or not someone is going to put their thumb on the scale at some point to say he shouldn't be cleared to play. Yeah, you, you do. And honestly, you know, I think the way Mike McDaniel is handling it, handling it is, is right. You know, you see this where he's saying day by day, and we were kind of making fun of Bill Belichick for doing that, you know, in a press conference when talking about Mac Jones earlier. But whenever you're talking about somebody's availability, really that's what it comes down to is the day by day thing. And especially if it's a head injury. So we're not talking about something that, you know, you an ankle and it's, uh, you know, standard time is four to six weeks. And it's this and this, this is his brain and this is his life. And I think that, you know, unless and until Tua Tungavailoa is completely medically cleared, then he's got to keep being on the sidelines. 
you know, and, and that's just something that the Dolphins are going to have to deal with. We're going to take a break. When we return, the coaching carousel has started to spin. We knew of three jobs going into Sunday. There are now four, and at any given moment, there could be a fifth, there could be a sixth. Who knows? We'll get you up to speed on everything that's happening as the coaching vacancies inevitably arise when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. The Houston Texans. Squandering the opportunity to have the first overall pick in the draft with this long touchdown pass on fourth and 20 with less than a minute to play. And then the Texans go for the win. They go for two. There's the touchdown. The two-point conversion is good, and the Texans get the victory. There it is. There goes the number one overall pick. It goes to Chicago. Congratulations, Lovey Smith. You won the last game of the year in your first season as coach of the Texans. Bad news, it's your last game ever as coach of the Texans. Statement from Cal McNair, statement from Nick Casario, the GM of the team. What a bizarre situation. And Coach Dungey tweeted about this last night. I mentioned it in the story that we posted at PFT. You've got a GM who has hired two coaches now and fired both of them after one year. Who wants that job? Who wants to be the next potential one and done? And what kind of weird holding pattern are they in? And this goes back, I think, to last year with the Brian Flores situation. I firmly believe, Miles, if Brian Flores does not file his lawsuit when he does, they hired Josh McCown to be their next head coach. That they wanted McCown. Now, that was a Jack Easterby thing, but it also may be a Cal McNair thing. And maybe they're going to go with Josh McCown now. I don't know. The... Jeff Saturday, half a season with the Colts, helps open the door to doing something that is so far outside the box it should just be regarded as effing nutty. But, and I love Josh McCown. He's just not ready to be an NFL head coach. He, has he been coaching at the college or pro level the last two years? I don't think so. What's he been doing to get himself ready for this job that we assume the Texans want to give him? But there's got to be a plan. At some point, when you've got paying customers that you expect – to fork over their hard-earned money, to fill your stadium, and buy overpriced popcorn, hot dogs, beer, and merchandise over and over and over again, lather, rinse, repeat, lather, rinse, repeat. At some point, you've got to have the coach that everyone believes is the guy that's going to be there for a while. Nobody really believed Lovey Smith was the guy that's going to be there for a while. Lovey Smith was the guy when they were considering the finalists last year, Josh McCown, Jonathan Gannon, and Brian Flores. Well, they're not going to hire Brian Flores because he sued the league. And then the Texans got sued on the back end for not hiring Brian Flores because clearly he was the best available candidate given the fact that he's a proven commodity as a head coach. And he's done a great job when he's had his opportunity with the Dolphins. They go off the board for Lovey Smith. Nobody thought this is a long-term answer. I didn't think they'd be dumb enough to keep him for only one year, but here we are, Miles. Two years, two coaches, one and done. Good luck, Texans. Finding a coach who has options to choose to become your next head coach. I mean, I don't know why you didn't think they'd be dumb enough to fire him after only one year. What in the world have the Texans done to make you think that they're a smart organization, that they're going to do something smart? 
Well, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things, but sometimes you capture a, a glimmer of wisdom. And I thought at a minimum they'd wait to see who the new Jack Easterby is going to be. I don't know what Cal McNair is thinking. Look, th- this is the problem, Texans fans, and there are plenty of fan bases out there that are under this constant burden. You can't fire the owner. You can't do a yep. public referendum on forcing the team to be put in receivership while some other billionaire more qualified to own the team comes along. The dysfunction in many of the bad teams traces all the way to the top. And Cal McNair, all due respect, has done nothing during the time that he has run the team that he inherited from his father, Bob, to make me think he's qualified and fit to be a capable and successful and competitive owner to the point where the other owners are happy to have him around because the good owners like to have a cluster of 10 or 12 that don't know what they're doing. It makes their lives a little bit easier to not be competing with high-end, functional franchises that are capable of winning any given Sunday because the Texans are one of the ones that clearly aren't. Yeah, no doubt. So, I mean, from that standpoint, I will say the thing I said last year at this time after they fired David Cully, do it. Hire Josh McCown. I dare you, Texans. Have the strength of your own convictions and just go ahead and do it so then we can rip you for it and then it'll work or it won't work. But let's just see you do it. Go on ahead. Try. Cal McNair is the guy, the kid, who was determined to jump off the high dive at the pool determined, spent all winter saying, this is the year I'm going to do it. I'm going to climb, not the low dive. Low dive, I've done it. This is the year because you got, I know the pool that I went to growing up, you got the two low dives on the side, you got the high dive in the middle. I am going to climb all the way to the top of the high dive. I'm going to walk out on the edge of the board. I'm not going to turn around and walk back. I'm not going to go back down the ladder halfway up. I am going to climb out to the edge of that, and I am going to do it. However it turns out, I don't care. I am finally going to do it. Do it. Climb up the ladder, walk out to the edge of the board, and jump off into the Josh McCown pool. If that's the guy you want to hire, do it. Does it make Brian Flores' case stronger? Absolutely. So what? You just got 30 settlements thanks to Deshaun Watson. Go do your thing. If this is the guy you want, you're the owner of the team. Act like the owner. Be the owner. Hire the guy you want. Tell the rest of us to go screw ourselves. Cal, show some leadership. Show some moxie. Show some guts. Jump off that diving board if you're going to do it because we're sick of waiting for it. Amen. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. All right. Well done. Sean McVay. Oh, by the way, by the way, I I don't know if this – Yeah, let let me just add one more thing. Can we please stop thanking guys we've just fired? Oh, yes. Can we please stop with this crap? What is this? They just announced the firing. Thank you, Coach Smith. Really? Thank you, Coach Smith. Now get leaped. Come on. (laughs) What are you doing? It is such a – I don't know what it is, whether it is lacking in self-awareness or passive-aggressive I hope it's at least passive-aggressive because that would imply there's a strategy to it other than, well, we fired the coach. Let's break out the thank thank the coach. I mean, they're so used to it now. Thank you, Bill O'Brien. Thank you, David Culley. Thank you, Lovey Smith. Thank you, Josh McCown. Thank you, next guy. It's they, I, they, and, and I had somebody say, oh, the social media teams operate completely independently. Well, if they do, that just shows how dysfunctional the team is because they don't go rogue and just feel like doing whatever they do. Somebody tells them what to do or what not to do. So somebody either told them to do this or didn't tell them not to do it. Either way, can we stop thanking the people we've just fired? We, it doesn't change the fact that you fired them. Who the hell said they operate completely independently? What kind of BS is that? If they do, they somebody don't operate for very long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come on. If it's somebody who's worked on multiple, that's not true. Sorry. All right. Uh, the, the Rams may be saying thank you to... Sean McVay. Well, that's an actual thank you. That would not, not because th- thank you. Th- thank you for thank you for running away from a mess that you made. Is that oh, what they'd be thanking no, him be, for? Th- no, it'd be thank you for the Super Bowl trophy, which is the only the second one in franchise history. Don't don't do that, Mike. Come I thought on it was now. the first one in franchise history. There's only one on the ring. Anyway, here's Sean McVay <sighs> at a time when more and more people believe he will choose to step aside as the coach of the Rams. Here he is after yesterday's loss to the Seahawks talking about his future. 
I'm not thinking about that right now. Nothing's changed from kind of where we left things off on Friday. Which would be what? That I'm right here right now, and we'll deal with that stuff at a later time. Um, what is it about this process that's making you unsure at this point? Yeah, I'll talk about stuff for the, as it relates to the game. Anything as it relates to you know what what is going to happen with me. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm appreciative of the way these guys finished up the season, and so um, any question of that nature, I'm not going to answer. That does not sound like a guy who's coming back. If you're coming back, if it's ridiculous to even suggest that you may not be returning, you shut that stuff down. Right? What, what are you talking about? I'm the coach of this team. What else would I do? I'm 36 years old. I've only been here six years. We won a Super Bowl last year. Why are we even having this conversation? Where's this coming from? I don't know where this is coming from. This is all fake news. I will be back. I am back. We are going to keep doing what we're doing. That's my mission. That's my goal. That's my mandate. I thought about it last year, and I decided to stay. I'm fully committed to this team. The stuff he said yesterday... Sounds a lot like a guy who is getting ready to leave. It's just a question of figuring out when and how he's going to do it, Miles. Well, look, I I mean, I've been in hundreds of Sean McVay press conferences, and that is unlike one I've ever heard. And, and, you know, my understanding is that the Rams are going to give him the time and the space that McVay needs to come up with whatever decision that he wants to come up with. Um, But look, this is a guy that has never had this kind of what he called a professional failure in his career. I mean, the Rams had the most successful stretch of five seasons that they've had since the 1970s under Sean McVay in their first five years in his tenure. Now, you know, they go five and 12 and it's something that is unfamiliar to him, but you also got to realize, I mean, there, there's some real life stuff going on with him as well. I mean, his wife's family is in a literal war zone in Ukraine. Right. He lost his grandfather, somebody he was, he was very close to over the course of the regular season. So there's a lot of stuff that he's got to personally work through, and then we'll see what his decision is going to be. But, I mean, you listen to Sean McVay, you look at Sean McVay, yeah, that, that's, that's somebody who is absolutely contemplating stepping away from being the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. The NFL is very competitive. There's a lot of professional envy and jealousy among the executives and the coaches at the various teams, and I hear the venting off the record all the time. That said, the whole F them picks thing has pissed off a lot of people around the league, not because they're jealous of the Rams for doing it and making it work. It creates issues for them because then the owner of their team wants to do the same thing, and they have to spend their time explaining to them why this is folly. So they are actually happy with what's happened with the Rams because it makes it easier to shout down an owner who says, why aren't we doing what the Rams are doing? Why are we so in love with these draft picks? Why are you so beholden to the idea of having a young nucleus of talent that we cultivate and grow and compensate the best of the best? We can just go out and pluck someone else's best of the best and load up the cannon and go win a Super Bowl. The way someone explained it to me yesterday is they sold their soul. They got their Super Bowl, and now the devil has come to retrieve his property, and that team has fallen apart, and it is a multi-year rebuild. I mean, think about where that team is. When you trade away your draft picks on a consistent basis, your high-level draft picks, there goes the guys that could be the next Aaron Donalds. That's the great irony of what the Rams have done. Aaron Donald was a first-round draft pick. They forfeit that. They'd rather go out and get somebody who is established and not risk swinging and missing, scratching off a lottery ticket that becomes a bust. But now you've got so much money tied up in aging and maybe declining players. It's not something that's going to be fixed quickly. And, Miles, they're looking at a $57 million decision with Matthew Stafford, who has been banged up, who I think has more injuries than we ever know about because he doesn't talk about it. He's the exact opposite of Ben Roethlisberger. He's... He's absolutely silent, and he suffers the burden on his own. And he goes home and just puts ice on it, doesn't even tell anybody. He's banged up. He can't play. He's got to pass a physical by the middle of March, or they're stuck with the $57 million. I mean, they've got a mess. What's Aaron Donald going to do now if Sean McVay doesn't come back? It's, I don't know what's – I think it's a bigger mess if he leaves and if he stays at this point, but either way, it's a mess. 
It, it, no, it is. I mean, look, they, they've got a lot of things that they have to figure out. And obviously the first domino to fall is whether Sean McVay is going to stay as the head coach or whether he's not going to be there as the head coach. And that is going to affect everything else that happens in this Rams offseason. But, you know, they still got the trophy and it's a trophy or Jordan face society. And you know what? They've got the trophy and they've got the banner to show for it. And I think that if they had to do it all over again, they do the exact same thing. Well, it's easy to say that now, but next yeah, year, because they the won. year after, I, I know, they won. I know, I they know. won. The plan worked. I mean, I just it, 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 we we do this, and it's like, well, what teams I, 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 wouldn't look, do wouldn't I, trade their souls for a Super Bowl? Mike, I grew up in Cleveland. They haven't even been to a damn Super Bowl, let alone Miles. won one. You think they wouldn't do this? You think Detroit wouldn't want to do something like this? You think the Chargers wouldn't want to do something like this, where they get a trophy? let's be honest here about what happened. I understand. We can say they sold their souls, but they got the trophy. I understand. I understand. The trophy doesn't fill the seats when the team is perennially three and 14. The trophy doesn't make you relevant when you otherwise aren't competitive. The goal in the NFL is this, and I've done my best to make you more hardened and jaded and cynical in the two plus years that we've been working together. We hear owners all the time say our goal is to win the Super Bowl. That's our goal every year. And that's baloney. Their goal is to be competitive past Thanksgiving. If you're competitive and relevant past Thanksgiving, your stadium is full for as long as possible. All those overpriced hot dogs and popcorn and beer get sold. And also, through the month of, of December, little J- Johnny and Jenny and every kid out there with the Christmas list wants a jersey or gear or merchandise generally with your team's logo on it instead of the other local sports team that maybe is more relevant than you. It's about being relevant year in and year out. And, and that's really the question. Has Stan Kroenke, by getting one Super Bowl, traded five to ten years of relevance? Is it going to take that long to dig it out? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. But that's really the question. And I'm told that if McVay walks away, it's not because he's burned out. It's not because he's got his eyes on TV. He would have done it last year because now the ship has sailed. He had his chance to get the Bezos money. It's not coming back around, and all those prime seats are taken. He could get a studio gig, but it does not pay what a game analyst job pays. So uh, it's about he understands what the future is going to be. And if you get yourself caught up in a multi-year rebuild, you undermine your accomplishment as a Super Bowl-winning coach. And that looks like the aberration if you start chasing – one bad year with 12 losses, another year with 12, another year with 11. Who knows how long it's going to be until they dig out of it. So if he goes, that's why he's going. And we'll see. We'll see how it plays out in the coming years. Fascinating case study. How long will the Rams be bad? And how many years is too many in comparison to the Super Bowl that they won? Let's go ahead and take a break. The Bengals. The good news is there was a coin flip yesterday. But it has nothing to do with the coin flip that we thought we were ultimately going to have because the Bengals managed to take care of the Ravens. We'll talk about that game when PFT Live continues right after this. First of all, hey, congratulations for winning the AFC North back-to-back. First time in Cincinnati Bengals history. Tied for the most wins in Cincinnati Bengals history with 12. You guys finished off the season the right way. Back after the season, 8-0. That's awesome. No team with better momentum going into the playoffs than what you guys have done. Zach Taylor, coach of the Bengals. They had their opportunity to be the one seed or the two seed. Interrupted and terminated by the fact that the DeMar Hamlin situation kept that game from being concluded. And now the Bengals are going to have to go on the road. But they don't have to go on the road in the wild card round. You know, somebody from the Ravens told me that they didn't lobby for this whole weird coin flip thing because it just felt like a backroom deal that the Ravens really pushed for. Well, you know, if we beat the Bengals on Sunday, we will have swept them, even though they have a higher winning percentage and they've won the division. We shouldn't have to go back there. We should come up with some other way. Okay, let's do a coin flip to see who gets the home game. How ridiculous is that in hindsight and in foresight and in any sight? And what was explained to me is, The league just wanted a way to make that game relevant, and that made that game relevant. 
hinging home field advantage for a wild card rematch on a coin flip made that game relevant until we saw the list of inactive players for the Ravens. And then we knew what was going to happen. As I said yesterday, the Ravens won the toss and they opted to defer. Uh, the, The Bengals get the victory 27 to 16. It should have been even more than that. And it sets the stage for a rematch next week, which could go differently because the Ravens will will have more of their best players presumably available to play, Miles. Yeah, but we don't know if they're going to have the most important player that, you know, is on that team. And that's Lamar Jackson. And if we don't know if Lamar Jackson, A, is going to be healthy or B, if even Tyler Huntley is going to be good enough you know, to play. I mean, how real competitive is that game going to be? Now, look, it's a program thing. And if anybody can get his team ready to go, I believe it's John Harbaugh. But at the same time, the the Bengals are kind of a juggernaut right now. And the only thing that concerns me about the Bengals is that two of their starting offensive linemen, Lael Collins and Alex Kappa, are now on the shelf. And that does not help them. And it could be something that does affect the way the Bengals end up performing in the postseason. But, I mean, I don't don't really know what to expect from the Ravens right now because it seems like they don't know if even Lamar Jackson is going to be available. They have no idea. And I'm sensing almost a level of exasperation over just the circumstance, not with Lamar, but just at the whole situation. Nobody knows when he's going to come back. I think it would be naive to assume the contract isn't caught up in this because if he's got full financial security – Maybe he's inclined to go give it a try, right? But until you've got your contract, why would you put yourself at risk if you're not fully 100%? And if you are 100%, why would you put yourself at risk? Because the future is coming quickly and some decisions need to be made. It's just a weird, awkward situation for the Baltimore Ravens. And that's why I just kind of, you know, I kind of keep an eye on John Harbaugh because there was a time a couple of years ago where it felt like maybe it was just time And we saw what happened with Sean Payton last year. It was just time. Any of these guys that have been in the same job for 15 years or longer in the NFL with the same team over and over and over again, after 15 years, I just, as a a general rule, thanks to Sean Payton, I'm just going to keep an eye on whether or not one or both sides decides it's time. And it quite possibly may be time for John Harbaugh to move on. Not because they would want him to, but just from his perspective, it may be time to move on and It'll be interesting to see. Something I said yesterday, and I don't want to get too far off course from the games. I was talking to somebody yesterday about the Broncos getting permission to interview Sean Payton for their head coaching vacancy, and obviously the Broncos would have to compensate the Saints. If you're the Broncos, why not call the Ravens? Why not call the Patriots? Why not call the Steelers? Any place where a coach has been there for a long time, and maybe the time has come for a parting. If you're going to give up a first-round pick for Sean Payton – why not see who else is out there that you could maybe get for similar compensation? Yeah, I mean, it certainly would be uh, something that they should explore and maybe examine. I don't know that I kind of get that same vibe as, you know, I mean, it's worth monitoring, I guess. But if you're talking about Harbaugh and, you know, potentially moving on, I, I still feel like that guy is very energized. And, you know, when I watch the Ravens and when I pay attention to the Ravens over the course of the week, I, it just seems like, he still knows that he can coach ball, you know? And so I, I will see, obviously, but there, there's a lot to think about with the Ravens in this coming week, starting with Lamar Jackson. If they move on from Lamar Jackson after the year, it just creates a situation where you've got to do major surgery on the roster. And oh yeah, I still see Harbaugh coaching, but there, there just could be another opportunity sure. out there where he could add to his resume. And every coach who has won a Super Bowl is very aware of the fact that no one has won a Super Bowl with two different teams before we move on from this game though the joe mixon touchdown and the celebration that was recommended him by chad ocho cinco the removal of a coin for an object he will be fine for this and he knows he's going to be fine this is the equivalent of joe horn with the cell phone this is to with the sharpie in his sock that he pulled out to autograph a football there's the coin he flips the coin to express the collective disdain the Bengals have for how they were treated last week by these arbitrary make-it-up-as-you-go rulings by the NFL. Uh, It will be an expensive. It will cost plenty of coins for Joe Mixon, but he knew it. He knew it. He's smart enough to know it. He accepts it. You can celebrate. You just can't bring in foreign objects, and the No Fun League will attack unless the No Fun League decides they don't want to make a story out of it and have people like us talking about it. All right, let's talk about the Jaguars. That was Saturday night's game. 
But they did the unthinkable, the incomprehensible. One of the few teams in the AFC that I thought entering the season had no chance to make it. It was the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Texans. Well, for the second straight year, one of the three teams that I thought had no chance to make the playoffs in the AFC did. Last year it was the Bengals. This year it's the Jaguars. And kudos to them because they just were sluggish. They started great, 2-0. and They're up 14 points week three at Philly, and then it all fell apart. The turning point came in London when they lost to the Broncos. That's when Trevor Lawrence decided, if I'm ever going to turn my life around in the NFL, I need to do it now. And, uh, you know, they, they, I'm surprised the game was as close as it was. And it took this Josh Allen touchdown return. Rayshon Jenkins, the hero of the Cowboys game with the pick six, hits Josh Dobbs. Uh, it should have been more than 20-16. to 16, But they still got the win. And uh, they advance. And they get to host the Chargers in what, what should be a very compelling game between two young quarterbacks that are trying to elevate into the top of the sport stratosphere miles yeah i mean frankly i'm surprised that this isn't you know the usual afc memorial afc south memorial 430 saturday game but it's not it's actually in prime time on nbc and peacock so you know everybody make sure you tune into that one it should be a really good game wow. well you're into paychecks for the young week. quarterbacks yeah hey man i gotta do something right um but they you know what these two quarterbacks i think should be really good and you got to give some kind of credit to mike brabel Right. For just having his team as ready to play as it could possibly be. They sort of punted that game um, that they had against the Dallas Cowboys. But Josh Dobbs, he he played, I mean, as well as anybody could have asked, probably, you know, I mean, and yeah, he fumbled at the end of the game and that's never good. Um, But, you know, that that team with the Titans, I mean, their offensive personnel became an absolute mess. You know, you don't have the kind of horses that you really need in order to compete with the top dogs in the AFC now. And so you have a quarterback in Trevor Lawrence that we now know can get it done. And he has been able to get it done in the back half of the season with Doug Peterson. And I'm really interested to see what this is going to be like between the Jags and Chargers. The Titans last won a game, November 17, I believe it was. The Thursday before Thanksgiving, Lambeau Field. And that was the night that Todd Downing got the DUI and it was clear that he was drinking either on the plane back from Wisconsin or the bus from the airport to the team facility or both. And it just kind of fell apart after that. But Mike Vrabel, one of the best coaches in the NFL. And to the extent that there would be a decision made by ownership in Nashville to move on from Mike Vrabel, he gets thrust into the mix of – guys hey that's it you know what if if the broncos are going to make phone calls i'd call amy adams strunk too if she's thinking about it and maybe is inclined to keep him if you're willing to to offer something maybe maybe it's it may be worth the phone call do what do what the commanders did last year call every team right they did it to ask about quarterback call every team and ask about whether or not they're interested in giving up their head coach, except for the teams that you think are going to fire them. Like, don't call the Cardinals. Call every other team except the Cardinals. All right, we got to take a break. The Eagles, like Cliff Kingsbury catching strays, by the way, on a Monday. The Eagles finally lock up the number one seed in the NFC. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. Him fighting through what he fought through um, to get back, you know, because still, like, you know, he it's not like he was he was perfect out there in sense of as far as his um, what he felt like, right? We didn't feel like there was more risk, but, you know, I know he was hurting, and he was hurting bad, and uh, but that's the kind of uh, competitor that he is, that's the kind of the, uh, person that he is, and the kind of teammate and leader that he is, um, that he was able to go out there and stick and, and tough through it. Nick Sirianni, coach of the Philadelphia Eagles after Philly beats the Giants' B team to secure the first round bye. There was all this talk that maybe the Giants were going to do what they did in 2007 and bring out their top players and try to keep the Eagles from being the number one seed. But, uh, you know, I guess maybe the Giants realize we'd rather go back to Philly if it came down to it than go back to or go to San Francisco. I don't know. Whatever the reasoning. They're taking advantage of the opportunity to rest their guys. They are in the playoffs either way. They weren't going to improve their standing beyond the sixth seed, and the Eagles finally get the one seed over the 49ers. And 
They hold the division title. The Cowboys lost anyway, so that didn't matter. But the Eagles, back on the right track. Jalen Hurts still dealing with the shoulder problem. And this week off is going to help the Eagles. I think they just need to kind of reset a little bit. They've been kind of sluggish. They lost two games in a row. Yesterday's game was not impressive. They, they feel like they're, they're just starting to sink a little bit. And the, the challenge for the next two weeks, Miles, is going to be to get that magic back that they had earlier in the year. Yeah, it, Jalen Hurts kept talking about being good enough to win. And, and that was sort of the theme for what the Eagles did yesterday. I mean, they were just good enough, you know. And, and when you're at week 18 and you're going for that number one overall seed so that you can get the week off and get a little bit healthier and advance yourself into the division around, that's kind of all you necessarily need to do. So they got that part done. But when your head coach is openly saying that your quarterback is really hurting, man, that's something that tells you just how much the Eagles need this week off. And look, the Eagles, as the number one seed, will play in the divisional round the lowest remaining seed. It could be four, five, six, or seven. They are looking at the Cowboys, the Buccaneers, the Giants, or the Seahawks as their potential opponents. Makes it a little bit harder to do your advance work because you've got four potential teams. And... They'll know right away if it's the Seahawks because that's the first game of the postseason. If the Seahawks win, it will definitely be Seattle at Philadelphia. And if the Seahawks lose, if the Giants win the next day over Minnesota, they know it'll be the Giants. If all else fails, it'll be the winner of the Cowboys-Bucks game. So either way, week off to get ready for one of those four teams. And it may be the Giants back in town with their A team. And we, we've seen it before. We saw... Giants beat the Cowboys 2007. That was the notorious Cabo trip for Tony Romo. 2008, the Eagles beat the Giants, who were the one seed. You just you, you don't want to see, if you're the one seed or the two seed, you don't want to see divisional opponents come in because they relish the opportunity to beat you, and they are not afraid of you. We saw it last night with the Lions beating the Green Bay Packers. All right, elsewhere in the division, the Cowboys just looked – uninspired and sluggish and even though you know they entered that game knowing they win maybe the Giants beat the Eagles they win the division you know the the one seeds in play they just did not look good at any point and Dak Prescott I mean something just was wrong yesterday and he acknowledged it after the game Miles but oh my god that that sequence where he almost throws a pick six right there Mm -hmm. and then like the next play, he does it again. That was one of the weirdest two-play sequences that I can remember. Yeah, it, it looked like the Cowboys weren't interested in playing that game. And for whatever reason, it, that just was the case. I mean, maybe it's because they were wearing the unlucky blues. I don't know. But when you have a team that's been as good as the Cowboys have been, and then they look like that, against the commander's team that's starting a rookie quarterback to really see what he has, that's not really good inspiring play. And I don't know what that means for them going into the postseason. But I'll say this, Mike. I mean, I felt probably a month ago that the Cowboys were going to be able to go to Tampa Bay and do what they needed to do and maybe roll. I don't feel like that anymore. For whatever reason, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they look like they have flipped the switch on. And I think the Cowboys might struggle to beat Tom Brady on Monday night next week. I have very little faith in the Cowboys against Tom Brady just because for Tom Brady, it's playoff game number 48 for his career. We saw the season begin with the Buccaneers going to Dallas and winning 19-3. to And I think the Buccaneers are capable of pulling it together for one game and one game only more than the Cowboys are. Should be a great game next Monday night. Hopefully better than the inaugural Monday night playoff game from last year when The Rams rolled all over the Cardinals. Let's go ahead and take a break. Bill Belichick speaking with reporters earlier today with some interesting comments about his situation and his starting quarterbacks. We'll discuss that next year on PFT. So, Bill Belichick. Meeting with reporters today, asked this question, will Mac Jones be the starting quarterback next season? Answer from Belichick, Mac has the ability to play quarterback in this league. We all have to work together to be more productive than we were this year. That's an understatement. Look, there was a lot of frustration coming from Mac Jones. He had Josh McDaniels as his offensive coordinator as a rookie. 
so he was able to at least compare and contrast. Bailey Zappi didn't know any difference because he was a rookie. Mac Jones knew how different it was. And I was talking to Coach Garrett about this last night. When, when you're a quarterback, when you're a smart guy that's been around great offensive minds, you notice right away if the coach is on it or if the coach isn't. And, hey, Matt right. Patricia's defensive coach. Joe Judge was a special teams guy. These are not offensive specialists. Bill Belichick was basically trying to will them in toward it. The idea is they're so smart at everything else, they should figure it out. It's all football. It shouldn't make a difference. Bill Belichick mastered everything. Others should too. Well, it may take some time to fully master it. And Mac Jones, we saw the repeated outbursts. We've seen the questionable play where it's a manifestation of frustration. Maybe Josh McDaniels makes a phone call to Bill Belichick to work out a trade for Mac Jones and maybe the Patriots move on at quarterback. It, it, it isn't the kind of answer we would have gotten from Bill Belichick after any of the years Tom Brady was quarterback, that's for sure. Uh, no doubt about that. I mean, there is certain uncertainty when you're talking about Mac Jones and being a quarterback in the league and being a part of a productive offense. And I don't think that those are unfair questions. It's the same kind of stuff we were talking about with like Tua Tungabailoa heading into his, his third season. It, it's a critical year just based on the way contracts are structured now with first round picks. So there's a lot that the Patriots have to figure out offensively, including with Mac Jones. Belichick did say he will be back next year for his 24th season as the head coach, which I mean, it's not like they were going to fire him. I was concerned that maybe ownership would take a hard line with who stays and who goes on the coaching staff, maybe even starting with one or both of his kids. Because I really do think I really do think the whole thing got knocked askew last year because maybe Steve Belichick should have been gone after 47 to 17. But yeah. he's not going to fire his kid. We're not going to fire his kid. He's not going to fire anybody else. You don't have the level of accountability you need for your coaching staff. And that kind of screwed everything up. But I don't know. I, I just thought maybe there'd be a showdown over the composition of the staff. And I guess there could still be. Miles, I'll give you the floor on uh, something you want to say about the coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, Brandon Staley, and his personnel decisions from Sunday's loss to the Broncos. Yeah, Mike, well, you rarely see, you know, NFL Twitter just universally behind one thing or another thing. But I think everybody was behind the fact that Justin Herbert should not have been playing as long as he was playing in that game that they lost to the Denver Broncos yesterday. And think about all the factors that you have at play if you're Brandon Staley and you're the L.A. Chargers. You know, you're, you're playing at altitude, all right? That's the first thing. They knew by the time inactives came out that Cincinnati was up big on Baltimore and Anthony Brown at quarterback. So you also have the five seed in hand. Your opponent is at home next week, and you got to go across the country to play them. You're already away, and you're probably playing on a Saturday afternoon because that's, you know, what the AFC South usually is when they're hosting the division game. Turns out it's Saturday night, but that's still a day that they have to prepare that you didn't. So, I just don't understand why Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, your high volume, you know, big time guys were playing as long as they did. And Brandon Staley was very defiant about it after the game. He said, you know, only 48 guys can play and it's hard to make these decisions. That's your job. You are the head coach and you have to be more responsible as the head coach than he was yesterday. Of all teams too, the team that has chronic injury issues every year, it's always something. The Roseanne, Rosanna Danas of the NFL, it's always something. Somebody's always injured. Why would you put them at risk in a game that has no impact whatsoever on your playoff fortune? You lost it anyway. It makes no difference. You're the five seed. You go to Jacksonville, and now you may not have Mike Williams. Last I saw, they had to help him to the bus. I mean, my goodness. It, it was an unforced error. And, and let me tell you something. I, I Look, I think that getting to the playoffs saves Brandon Staley. But coaches like to use the back channels. And Dean Spanos will be aware of other coaches that may be interested in that job. And the two big names out there, I know one of them is very interested in that job. And it may not be the one you think. So... 
That's the kind of thing, if they go to Jacksonville and lose, what happened yesterday with Mike Williams, that can be because of that first domino that even though they made it to the playoffs, could, could spell the end for Brandon Staley because of the attraction of Justin Herbert and the big names on the coaching grapevine that may be interested in taking that job. We'll take a break and wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. Well, we left just about 40 seconds for a Monday Night Football preview. The good news is there's no Monday Night Football game to preview at all, except for the National Championship game. Will you watch TCU in Georgia, Miles? Hell, it's oh, right yeah. down the road from you. You're going to it. It is. I, well, I'm not going to go. I have friends who are going, uh, both from TCU and from Georgia. So we'll see what happens tonight. But I think Georgia's going to roll. Well, I will watch some of it, maybe all of it. If it holds my interest, I'll watch all of it. It's an excuse to okay. watch football, and there are very few football games left. But we'll have you ready for all of them, continuing tomorrow on PFT Live. Everybody have a great Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.